Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Literary festivals are finding new ways to keep going in lockdown and stretching themselves into more creative territory along the way. Hanny Raisin of the Yarra Valley Writers' Festival joins me later in the hour to discuss how this regional festival is finding the upsides of life online. But soon, when her dream job as a screenwriter ends like a bad TV satire, Alice Williams has to grapple with unemployment, depression and an increasingly difficult relationship with food. So she signs up to become a yoga teacher. Her hilarious self-deprecating memoir, Bad Yogi, face plants all the usual middle-class healing memoir tropes and faces up to the truly difficult stuff life throws your way. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Tiny, sparkly-eyed Marta floats into my orbit. There's something warm, unassuming and eager to please about Marta, sort of like a golden retriever hidden inside a 5'3", 45-year-old woman. As she advances, eyes shining and arms floating, I move my arms across my chest, but I'm too late. She's already leaning in and up, eyes closing, an expression of hugging ecstasy on her face. I step back, my arms crossed, and as she hugs thin air, she opens her eyes and smiles, uncomprehending, then takes a further step forward. I shake my head. I'd love to hug you, but dear me, look at the arms. She looks at my arms, then back at me, confused. I shake my head again. Her face falls like a little sparrow, and she drifts off. Heart openings, a bitch. And so begins Alice Williams' Bad Yogi, a darkly hilarious memoir that digs deep into addiction, depression, grief, and finding a way through it all. I spoke to Alice Williams about her witty take on the healing journey. Alice Williams, welcome to Backstory. Thank you. So uh, your book, Bad Yogi, is uh, very much a, uh, let's just say, a not-self-help kind of uh, journey book um, that looks at actually how you did help yourself get get out of you know what really was quite a serious situation. Although you have such a naturally humorous style, it comes across as anything but. Uh, I'd love you to talk about where Bad Yogi came from. Um, well, it actually came from diaries, so it was. Um, a really intense two-year period where I'd started doing 12-step, um, which is like sort of Alcoholics Anonymous, except for food issues, while I'd started yoga teacher training. And so I was doing this intense yoga philosophy stuff with the 12-step philosophy, which is, I mean, the first meeting I went to seemed like a cult. It's <laughs> so bizarre. And I was writing, we had to keep journals for the yoga teacher training. And I have always been a journal keeper anyway. Um, But I guess I've always had an eye for character. And there just seemed to be so many fascinating characters in within the 12-step community and within the yoga community. And what I quickly realized is that 
you know, the people who want to be yoga teachers, we're all a little bit mad, like a little bit, (laughs) which is probably what drives us to do something that will never earn us a living, you know, is pretty exhausting. And I mean, it's enjoyable, but it's not exactly a wise career choice for anyone. Um, And of course, everyone in 12 step is mad because, you know, everyone, we're all addicts of some kind. Um, And I wanted to say I include myself in that mad group more so than anyone. Um, And I had a screenwriting background. And so that really trained my ear, I guess, for dialogue and things like that. And so often, when I would read back over diary entries, we have to had to edit them and sort of submit them as assignments for the yoga stuff. I was just think, oh, there's kind of there's so many fascinating characters. There's kind of a book here, I guess. And I also, I think what I did was I was having such a hard time during that two year period because it was really like taking everything that I had thought I had known and turning it on its head. And I just. I needed to read something by someone who'd gone through something similar because all the yoga texts I was reading, all the 12 step literature was very earnest, which is, and it was incredibly helpful. You know, it's, it's all about changing your life for the better, but it, it can be quite intense and quite earnest. And I needed someone who had done that and, but had done it in a very human way and had made lots of mistakes and there wasn't really anything out there. So I thought, well, I'll just, write the book I needed when I was going through it. So I guess, yeah, that's where it came from. You start the book uh, with an image of you in a yoga teacher's class and you're being asked um, or people in the class are being asked to sort of open their heart space to others and allow a hug in um, and you very much are not a willing participant in that. Um, you know, you have the option to kind of cross your arms across your chest to prevent people from doing it but are at one stage you know, hug attacked um, and then find it, you know, actually surprisingly nice. Um, I thought that that was a really wonderful way to open the book and obviously you did too because you did open it that way um, as a a metaphor for exactly what the process is that you, you go through in the book, which is that, you know, you absolutely have a fear of earnestness and, um, you know, and your defensiveness is humour throughout, but you do sort of really show how, you find a a way of accessing all of that stuff through, you know, through yoga, through your just observations of life, but also through the writing process. So can you, can you maybe talk about what you, how you sort of see the journey in the book? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it started off, I was very messed up, but very closed off at the same time. And I think we've all either been or know someone who is in that but where they're spiraling down. So I was working for a TV show and it was going really badly <laughs> and it was meant to be my dream job and I was just bombing awfully. And I was, I just had that feeling of just being totally cut off from myself. I knew I was unhappy but couldn't figure out why. And I think it's that we we all know someone who is, who's cut off and nothing can reach them, nothing can help them. And it's like your defences get so strong um, because it would be so painful if you actually opened yourself up. And I think when anyone's in a lot of pain, to actually open up to help or new ways of thinking or hugs in the in the prologue 
it actually makes you feel the pain that you've been hiding away from. And so it's almost easier just to, to stay closed up. And the only thing that made me start opening up was desperation. And I think that's the same for most people who end up in 12-step is that, you know, they call it the gift of desperation. You reach a point where the pain is so bad that you would you would try anything, including group hugs. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it's the absolute that. worst thing. Yeah, that, that's more of a yoga thing. Um, but you would you would test out new ideas, and for me in twelve step, that real um, challenge was the second and third steps is um, about ha- recognizing a higher power. And I had been brought up atheist, and I remember seeing that written on a banner in my first meeting thinking yeah I can do all the other steps but that high the God stuff is definitely not for me and then I, I guess having written it as a diary you're going through my thinking and experiences as I experience it so it shows what what really led me to take on that idea that okay maybe this is not completely insane and and I'll test it out and see where it goes and so it was interesting because we had to make up our own idea of God and um Anyway, I won't. I won't spoil. <laughs> I don't. I mean, there's there's quite a few kind of delightful revelations in this book, so um, I, I want people to to read through and enjoy it. But your nothing is more so than your uh, artful humor and way of looking at the world. Um, you mentioned that you sort of start with a screenwriting background and you talk about your first screenwriting job, oh. which is working for an unnamed soap opera. I'll let everyone work out which one it probably <laughs> is. Uh, but it is absolutely hilarious. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you kind of create that sort of uh, humorous um, narration throughout? Yeah, well, I think I've always had a pretty absurdist sense of humor I I grew up my mom's sense of humor is just so off the wall um but she doesn't see it as funny like she just can I swear on this show is that all right you absolutely can I guess this is actually my partner's reference to her he said he remembers a time when we all got in the car and she turned on the stereo and there was like some opera singing and she just sat there and she said I bet he's saying suck my big dick and then she just kept driving and I'm like, Mom, that is so disgusting and it's so wrong. But that to her is just like, why would anyone say? Anyway, sorry, that's a really disgusting, you can bleep that out. But I think, <laughs> I think it's just my mother had such a bizarre way of looking at the world and you know you kind of interpret your way of looking at the world from your parents in a way. And I talk in the book a bit about my grandfather who was a, an Australian painter and he was kind of known for his absurdist humour in his pictures and I never thought I took after him at all because my artistic ability is abysmal but I thought geez maybe there is something about perspective and so no matter how awful the situation there's almost some part of me which is watching it from outside of my body thinking this is actually pretty funny and I think also because I mean humour is how you get through the really dark moments and I wanted Mm -hmm. to write about some pretty dark things but I didn't want to depress people and I you know I switch off from reading about things which are really awful even though I shouldn't um so you want to sort of seduce the reader into going places with you but you don't want them to have an awful time and so the humor was the way of doing it 
If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to author Alice Williams about her book, Bad Yogi, which is very much a, a journey of self-discovery, but absolutely hilarious. Uh, I I really do love your introduction to your family. Um, it's kind of, I'd, I'd like you to sort of describe it because um, there's almost like a battle dress that they all wear um, to prevent people from seeing beyond um, and into their souls. Um, <laughs> it, it's really great, especially as it sort of sets you off on, you know, on where your sort of natural defense mechanisms come from. All right, well, I'll just start by saying I really hope my family aren't listening and I'm not going to tell any of them about this. But it's quite bizarre because when you get them all in a group and we're very waspy, so we're very uptight, we never, ever talk about emotions, we always talk about things in the abstract. And I remember getting seeing them all in a group and I realised that everyone was wearing these jewel, this jewellery from Dinosaur Designs and... To me, dinosaur designs looks like something you get from the reject shop for $2. Like it's these big, chunky, kind of not very attractive things. But they actually cost hundreds of dollars of pieces. And they, they wear these clothes which are kind of like that artful Japanese draping that no one can work out how to do it. <laughs> and so I realized, oh, there's kind of like this code that only people within that sort of milieu can kind of work out, which is that you know, it's very exclusive. It's a very kind of, it says that you're creative, but also a thinker, but uh, I can't even describe it. I mean, this is why I'm a writer because my verbal skills are, are very low. <laughs> it's not true. But it was just, I just, I realized how many codes are kind of sent through that way of dressing. And it's a very, it was a very kind of, I found it a very cold intellectual um, kind of way of communicating what who, what and who you are and in fact the I think the first scene with them is at a family dinner and we never would talk about emotions we would talk about um recipes or kind of obscure um current affairs and it was it was almost a way of kind of keeping up that was the family currency obscure things that were very tasteful and the more obscure and the more tasteful the kind of better you fit into that family milieu. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. It, it sort of sounds like as well, Alice, that when you're sort of, I mean, and I should say that uh, the way you render your parents, is, oh. uh, it's, it feels very real. Um, and obviously there's a deep affection there, but you know, you're making, you're constantly using humour in it, as you say, to as a way of sort of ameliorating the the difficult things that you're talking about. Um, you're discussing your dad um, being extremely ill, but also very annoying. <laughs> so, which is, you know, really done with this um, very honest affection. Uh, your description of life with your partner, your description of your experiences um, studying yoga, all of them are, are treated with this kind of lightness of touch. I do want to talk about um, it's sort of a really interesting thing that that I guess you sort of describe your journey with deciding to become a yoga teacher because, in fact, you sort of started, um, you know, maybe 10 years before the real start of the book. So do you want to discuss why it is that you think um, you, you know, you decided to go on that journey particularly? Yeah, I mean, I think I started when I was 19, I I dropped out of uni and I mean I feel a bit wanky sort of saying it but nothing really felt real about what I was studying it was all very abstract it didn't feel about kind of 
real life issues about why we think the way we think, what motivates us, what's a good way of being in the world. And so I ran off to a Buddhist monastery, which also sounds very wanky. Um, but that sort of triggered um, a desire to, I guess, to go a little bit deeper into the philosophy of yoga. But really it starts before that. I, I had a lot of anxiety at school and I was smoking a lot of bongs because that's what everyone did in the 90s and it was triggering panic attacks. And I remember, you know, no one was doing yoga back then, um, but there was one yoga studio in my town and I kind of rocked up and it was all older women you know, no one wore active wear. They didn't have it then. And I felt completely awkward, but I started doing it. And it was hell on earth at first. Um, but I just, it gave me a window into um, what life could be like without anxiety. And, of course, you want more of it when you kind of get a taste of that. And I think that's what got me thinking about being a yoga teacher. But I, I, I just wasn't the image that I thought a yoga teacher had to be, which was very serene and calm. And I was so far from that <laughs> that I gave it up. I just thought I couldn't possibly teach anyone. And and now I realize that it's if you learn to work with those um, difficult feelings and emotions within yourself, then you have something to offer others. So I didn't realize that you had to um, really apply the pro process to yourself before you could teach. And that's kind of what, what I learned throughout the book. It, this is also very much a book about being a writer. Uh, and you obviously talk about um, your writing life is, is wound throughout this, both, um, you know, explicitly and implicitly. Uh, in a sense, you know, you're really exploring the world as a writer does, which is facing up to it honestly, and then recognising that actually, you know, there are no quick fixes. It's a painful process and um and requires a great deal of humor uh you know do you feel as though you learned a lot about writing through the process of kind of you know working out your own stuff um or looking at the world through a new frame um in writing the book you mean did I learn even more about writing the book or even um this journey of sort of you know really looking into yourself do you think it is a writer's journey inherently oh absolutely and I think you know I guess it's caused me to think a lot, certainly about writing memoir um, and how, you know, I wanted to write as simply as possible. I don't think good writing is necessarily, um, you know, I think good writing is being able to articulate really complex things very simply. Um, but so it's almost like for me the writing wasn't about craft, although, you, you know, I've been a writer for about 15 years, so you learn the craft stuff along the way. But it was a get about getting myself to a point psychologically where I could write about these things in a way that was not really um, just a navel-gazing diary entry, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's about having that detachment. And I think, you know, writing obviously forces you to clarify your own thoughts and emotions and feelings, etc. But for me, it also flushes out my ulterior motives. Um, and one of the things that you do in 12-step is you um, work on what they call the defects, which I think is a horrible word. But it's basically all those really nasty human emotions that every single one of us has, selfishness, anger, greed, all that kind of stuff, and really look at how that comes into your life. 
And I found that when I was writing the book, if I had an unfinished business with a person or with an event, it would come through in that I was writing to punish the person or I was writing for revenge or I was writing to show myself as this angel, which you can do when you're writing a memoir because it's all your perspective. And for me, it was about learning to trust my instincts that something was a little bit off was making me uncomfortable and it would be like, oh, I'm really demonizing that person or I'm making myself this wonderful thing, whatever. And so for me, the writing would actually flush out the stuff that were unresol- was unresolved. Mm. And I'm writing about some stuff now um, and I realised <laughs> I had to take a bit of time off so I could resolve it for myself before I could yeah. write about it. Yeah, I was I was slightly laughing because I thought uh, I wonder what you're going to make out of isolation because <laughs> there's really not as much space for reflection, but it's definitely good fodder for a writer. Oh, are you God. are you writing much while you're sort of in this situation? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, I I I've always kept diaries, and I think it's really good just to note down, you know just stuff so it jobs your memory. But I honestly think you don't know what a lot of it means until afterwards and afterwards you can connect the dots. But we're still in it. I mean, it's insane. I mean, what is Donald Trump going to tell us to do next week? You know, shove a funnel up our button. <laughs> so I think, yeah, it's like I learned a lot from hearing David Sedaris talk about his process, which is he keeps diaries and then later on he puts them together. So really it's mm-hmm. keeping up the raw material at the moment. Is there a trick, Alice, to writing the darkly humorous? Yes. <laughs> for me, I just want to say for any writers listening, everyone has their own process. And I think one of the hardest things is listening to a writer and thinking, oh, I don't do it that way, therefore I'm not a writer or whatever. I think everyone has their own process. And usually for it to be – when you, the trouble with using humour is that you can be so detached – that the reader doesn't connect to what you're actually writing. And I've got a friend who's writing a memoir at the moment about her sexual sexual assault. Um, And I can tell in reading her stuff that she just doesn't want to go there. And the hard thing about writing the dark stuff is you, you really have to go there and feel those emotions. And so usually I write it straight, um, just how it was. And then later I'll kind of add a few flourishes. But at the same time, there were things which I didn't want to shy away from with a song and dance. So things about my dad and a friend who committed suicide What during the book um, that you just, you, you know, some things you just need to let breathe on the page. And I think mm. rushing in with a joke can really take away also from the reader's experience. Yeah. I think you've really nailed that that nice balance where it doesn't feel like you're sort of brushing things off with a joke. It feels like you're sort of digging into the inherent uh, humour in even the, the most difficult situations. Mm-hmm. And you know, no more so, I guess, when you're dealing with, um, you know, a loved one who is sick um, or with, you know, an incredibly difficult situation like the one you just described with a friend. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's a really um it's a tough one, but I guess one thing I, I took away from this was something that you just you just mentioned that you can't sort of shy away from, you know, the real things. Is that something is there again an art to like really letting yourself go there? Um, therapy helps. <laughs> I think one of the things I learned through um doing I mean, look, I'm someone who 
would binge and purge and binge and purge and binge and purge to manage feelings. And I think part of the book is is really about learning to be with those difficult feelings in order to, you know, not self-sabotage. And I think it is some people just aren't ready to face that stuff, much less write about it. And I remember my one of my favorite um, books about writing is Murakami's book, What We Talk About, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. And he says that there's a little bit of poison in every writer and that you have to keep yourself really healthy in order to manage that poison, to kind of channel it. And I think when you're writing about dark personal stuff, it can be destructive. So I would just, I was just really healthy. You know, I was meditating. I had people I talked to. I I had a lot of people I talked to actually, which was really helpful. Um, So I was never kind of in the bubble alone. And I think if you are doing that stuff, it can be kind of a bit destructive to go there alone and spend too much time in it. So having, having a lot of support really helped. Well, Alice Williams, thank you so much uh, for joining me today on Backstory. Uh, your book is definitely uh, a panacea for a lot of things that that people might be feeling or going through right now, um, and you do it in a way that that really makes you want to stay with the whole program. Um, thank you. Thanks, Mel. Thank you. That was author Alice Williams. Her book, Bad Yogi, is out now. Up next, we may be home, but the festival continues. Yarra Valley Writers Festival organiser and acclaimed playwright Hanny Raisin joins me to talk about how to not just carry on in lockdown, but use it as a creative challenge. That's coming up soon. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Literary festivals are finding new ways to keep going in lockdown and stretching themselves into more creative territory along the way. I caught up with Hanny Raisin of the Yarra Valley Writers Festival to discuss how this regional festival is really making the most of life online. Hanny Raisin, welcome to Backstory. Thank you, Mel. It's great to be here. So you are doing something that seems uh, kind of weird at the moment, um, considering that all of us are spending most of our time in our own houses. You are nonetheless uh, still running a writer's festival. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what it's like to run a festival when everyone is actually at home? Well, this is the Yarra Valley Writers Festival. It's our first festival and we were all up and running and ready to go and uh, we launched our program and we'd had quite an amazing response from people. So, you know, we had lots of punters buying buying tickets and then um, COVID-19 uh, sort of came in and sideswiped the world. And... Um, so, like, you know, for a couple of days uh, there was a sense of, like, everything else we'd have to cancel. But I think because of that, because all of the writers I knew, all my mates, uh, you know, felt like their whole worlds, you know, their whole lives had been cancelled, really, we um, we decided, and the we being 
Brooke Powell, who is my partner in this. Um, she is, um, she's the director of this festival and I'm the program manager. We decided, no, bugger it. Like, let's, let's have a go at putting it, uh, doing it online. And, um, the great thing about it, I think really is, um, after any sort of anxieties about how the technology would work, we've got a production company who, uh, organizing that side of it um we've we've really found made a virtue of it and so we're kind of terribly excited about the format now where you know it's not just um thinking about it about putting exactly what we had in place um online we're rethinking you know how we can use film how we can um create the feeling for the punter um, when they log in on on Saturday the 9th to really feel like they've come to the Arrow Valley. It's really lovely. I'm, I'm just looking at some of the things that you've got planned um, and the guests who just mm-hmm. look incredible. Mm-hmm. Talk a bit about what it is um, that you are so excited about. What kind of events will people be able to attend? Well, firstly, we've got, you know, Australia's sort of most brilliant writers coming and uh, pretty much Everybody said um, yes immediately that we said we're going to give have a crack at this doing it online. Everyone said yes, um, and uh, so we've got um, we we've got Christos Cholkas, we've got Charlotte Wood um, with the weekend, um, we've got Claire Bowditch, uh, Chris Flynn, David Williamson. I'm just these are names coming off the top of my head. <laughs> we're um, we're we've. There's a mixture of things to do with ideas and discussion about, um, you know, what we do next, you know, after after we come out of this uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in. And one of the things that, you know, really concerned me was that we were all on ready to be able to talk about fire and climate issues when COVID kind of came. And, um, and that seems to have been swept under the carpet. You can't there's no one talking about that at all. So we're running um, some good sessions on that with, with really interesting people. So we went directly to the universities and we've got we've got professors. <laughs> uh, we've got interesting people talking about that. David Lindenmeyer, who's a professor of ecology at ANU. We've got um, Tom Griffith, who's also a professor at ANU, talking about fire and climate. Tony Birch, incredibly beautiful short story writer, one of my favourite. Um, he's going to also, he's been an ambassador for environmental issues for some time. He's going to talk about that. So there's a lot of that talk. Um, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a gorgeous session um, about how weird does your family need to be. And uh, <laughs> I, I, as a, I love it. Definitely attending that. Yeah, a, well, as a, a sort of memoirist myself, I'm very interested in biography and um, and memoir, and um, I, I just love these people. Richard Glover from he's from ABC in Sydney, and he has a you know really very weird family. <laughs> I, I completely love that memoir. Alice Pung, who's you know and also one of my favourite writers, um, Australian Cambodian woman, and um, you know divine stories about her father. Um, having a retrovision store in Footscray and bringing to her memoir lots of things about that bring an Aussie kind of sensibility to um, stories about the killing fields in Cambodia and um, and also just growing up with, with a dual culture. Um, and Rick Morton, of course, who's um, 100 Years of Dirt, <clears throat> beautiful memoir about growing up in outback um, Queensland. So, 
there's lots of um, meat on the bones here and I think we can have lots of fun um, interspersing it with um, a lot of a lot of personal material. So, Mel, I think the thing that I really want to stress about this that makes it exciting about being online is that um, you, you go into people's homes. So we're making a virtue of this, and um, I, because I'm a playwright, I'm I'm interviewing David Williamson, and um, we're doing an hour with him. And I've said to him rather audaciously, probably now, I want you to get your phone and I want you to just to take me in your house <laughs> to take me right through. And I, I, I want to go into the kitchen. I want to meet Kristen, your wife. I mean, I know these people, but, you know, I, um, I, I want you, you know, I want to meet your pets if you've got them. And so we've got that opportunity to take um, the, the, the punter who's coming to our Writers' Festival, not just to the Memo Theatre, which is where we were going to be um, having our festival in Healesville, but, you know, right in up close and personal. So that seems fun to me. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to Hanny Raisin of the Yarra Valley Writers Festival about that festival and how it's all still happening online. Um, and of course, as you've just said, it is um, it is something that kind of really offers new opportunities. And I think there are people increasingly, uh, you know, as well as all the things that we miss, really considering what we can do uh, with the new world that we find ourselves in and what kind of legacy things might carry on from that. Um, your format um, is having uh, sort of these regular sort of sessions all throughout May. Uh, you're going to have Sunday sessions, uh, an hour of a, a chat with a particular writer. It's sort of a wonderful thing because I think normally uh, in a festival of this kind, you have time limitations, you have limitations on the spaces that people go to. Um, there's that sort of whole feeling of can I come or not? Can I take that time to go to a place? This is sort of giving people an opportunity to really engage with a cultural life uh, without actually having to worry about all the elements of travel. Well, that's right. The other thing is that, you know, much to our thrill, as you can imagine, we're um, getting subscribers from all over the world. So um, Brooke rang me yesterday and said, you know, we've had now um, uh, people signing in um, from Germany and, um, and you know, from the UK and um, pl- different various places in um, in Europe. So we just sort of went like, wow, this is Great. I mean, it's great for the writers because, um, you know, we're beaming into, you know, in, in, all over, all over the internationally. So we're, we're pleased about that. And it just makes it sort of extra exciting to me to be thinking, wow, people are tuning in in France. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And and also this opportunity as well. We've got incredible writers here uh, and a really interesting way of looking at the world because of the nature of of being in this country and, uh, and what that means. And I think perhaps, you know, opportunities like this to really, you know, market writers to the rest of the world shouldn't really be ignored. No, well, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it works both ways too so that, um, you know, this does provide the opportunity for having um, international authors come without the expense of the um, airfares and what have you, and they seem increasingly to want to travel business class when they come here. <laughs> so, you know, that that's uh, it's it's a much cheaper option for us to be able to say, let's get you uh, talking to us on your at your desk. Um, 
So that's another opportunity really. Yeah, there's all sorts of good things. And people, you know, like if you really do think about the the medium itself, um, you know, being very visual so that we're using film and, and um doing some pre-records. We're, we're creating this like a TV station. Michael Veach is our anchor man and, uh, you know, we'll go back to him at each at each point and he will be in a theatre um, and, you know, that we'll be able to see little grabs of um, of film and little bits about the Yarra Valley and uh, um, performance with the David Williamson um, piece where um, uh, we've got some actors who are going to do just little little grabs of um, of David's work. Um, Claire Bowditch is coming on and she apparently her mother has this incredible apple pie recipe. I've yet to see it, but um, and so we're should she be sharing that? That's slightly controversial. <laughs> Family secret recipe. Yeah, so everyone can make mm. apple pie and eat it, you know, at around about afternoon tea time when we're all ready for, for that. So um you can live stream for the day, which is fifteen dollars. By the way, I should tell you that it's you know, it's Incredible value, fifteen dollars. You can, you can live stream all day. If you if you pay thirty five, you can have you can download it and um, attend all the other things. That there's a book club with um, uh, there's Tony Birch as the white girl is a, is a subject of a book club, and you'll meet Tony Birch and you can ask him questions and um, you know tell him what you thought of his book, how marvelous it is. Just won a New South. Wales Literary Prize. Yes. Um, the White Girl, yeah. an excellent book. So, Henny, how do you actually get a hold of tickets for the festival and how do people log on to see some of the events? Well, you go to our website, which is the Yarra Valley Writers Festival, no apostrophe after S for writers, just Yarra Valley Writers Festival.com. Go there and um, it's very straightforward and there's a um, you'll be directed to how to buy a ticket. And, um, what happens is that you, you, you know, you pay for that on PayPal and then you, um, on the day before you'll get your own personal code, uh, just a number of digits, four digit code, I think it is. And, um, just enter those and you just get straight in. And um, so that's for a $15 ticket. And that means that you can, um, um, live stream all day. Um, it starts at, uh, 9.30 and, um, it goes till, uh, quarter to seven at night, so <laughs> you can really settle in. <laughs> I sort of really like the idea of people doing this sort of daily walks while listening to uh, a live stream writers' festival mm-hmm. event. It's it's kind of a really lovely um, sensibility, or even you know joining in on a book club with the book there and a glass of wine mm-hmm. in hand at home, comfortable. We're really, really um, encouraging you know, the wine because it is Yarra Valley, you know, and so that's what we'd be doing if it was <laughs> happening at the at the memo. But uh, you know, you can choose your, your time to start really 9.30 might be a little early but in the morning <laughs> at lunch time it's Absolutely. fine. Absolutely. Is it, is it for you as an organiser, are you finding that, um, you know, realistically, uh, is it harder to organise events now uh, that you are sort of home and trying to do things or are you finding that there are some things that are easier to do or is it a com- combination of, of difficulties and, and new challenges? Well, you know, there are certainly new new challenges and new you know, and sort of really rethinking how, you know, if, if 
basic ideas like do is is an hour too long to talk to a person online should you just be being really pacey and working through more writers and more people and more ideas and all that sort of stuff all those totally fascinating um issues to me um i think it's uh you know there are challenges when you want to actually make get some footage so that you know you can only have one um camera person um coming into a, a situation if you uh if you if you're um, you know, going into a business or whatever, so that there are kind of more logistics about just just getting around. But um, apart from that, which is quite an obvious thing, I suppose um, everyone just is working on online anyway, and there's the phone and all of that stuff. So, and of course, people are a bit, you know, need to be reassured that about actually connecting, you know, and being and that that uh, faffing with the with with the new new technology but once everyone's got that under their belt you know people have been zooming like crazy so we all we're all a bit zoomed out at the moment this is not on zoom um so um i think it's uh you just adjust to the new circumstances and you know make the make the most of it that's that's what i'm thinking and hopefully next year we'll be all able to do it all again but in person um with all the next crop of books that will be coming up um you know, from from a year at, um, of of COVID, when everyone's <laughs> the COVID <laughs> memoir edition of the Yarra Valley yeah, Writers Festival. will be uh, completely not <laughs> wanting to talk about COVID next year. I tell you, <laughs> saying that's right. It'll it'll be it'll be our um, flapper diaries, I yeah. guess, as we come out of this crazy yeah. period. Um, Henry Raisin, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the new online Yarra Valley. Thank Writers you so Festival. much, Mel. Welcome to your bunker, baby. No need to worry. That's right. Now it's time for Comfort Reads and meet us for launch. Today on Comfort Reads, a call to action. I finally received my copy of Gabriel Garcia Marquez's Love in the Time of Cholera. And I want to invite you all to join me in rereading this classic, which has been the subject of many punny headlines. It was a favourite of my teenage years, but has it stood the test of time and the perspective of a world still facing pandemic? Join me by posting your reading journey on Instagram. Tag me at Backstory RRR and hashtag Love in the Time of Backstory. Our meters for launch today is Chris Flynn's Mammoth. Narrated by a 13,000-year-old extinct American mastodon, Mammoth is the mostly true story of how the skull of a Tyrannosaurus betar, a pterodactyl, a prehistoric penguin, the severed hand of an Egyptian mummy, and the narrator himself came to be on sale at a natural history auction in New York in 2007. With our planet on the brink of calamitous climate change, Mammoth traverses time and place and scrutinises humanity's role in the inexorable destruction of the natural world while also offering a message of hope. Chris Flynn's Mammoth is out now. If you'd like to send me a short piece or voice memo for comfort reads or meters for launch, email me at backstoryrrr at gmail.com. 
or tag your Love in a Time of Cholera reading experience on Instagram at backstory hashtag love in the time of backstory. And that's all we have time for today on Backstory. I'd like to thank my guests, Alice Williams, author of Bad Yogi, and Hanny Raisin, organizer of the Yellow Valley Writers Festival. Our comfort reads and welcome to launch theme song is Welcome to the Bunker Baby by Nicola Watson. You'll find her album on Bandcamp. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.